Hey, it's Elisa. I run a B2B creative agency called Stories Bureau, and we work with executives like you every day to make sure their presentations have the wow factor. Our designers and strategists help tell compelling stories that impact big business decisions. Let's get real, ladies. If you're a woman of color in leadership, you know that you're expected to perform above and beyond the norm. So let's get started at storiesbureau.com. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Murari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. Back in the day, I was working at an advertising agency and my like work friends and I had this thing where we'd say, do you want to go for a walk? And we would walk furiously around the building <laughs> because something happened and we just needed to vent it out. And now that I work from home, I'm like, okay, well, who am I going to turn to? My plants? <laughs> like, we go on a walk with me? But I have a friend who we walk every Wednesday. We call it Walk Wednesday. And we use it to catch up on life. But, like, we also use it to vent about work. So I'm curious for you all. Do you have people that you talk to about work struggles? Celebrations as well. But sometimes you need a vent. Since working from home, what I would say is some of those one-on-one -on -one meetings or just connect meetings become the venting session. <laughs> but it's so good because sometimes that's exactly what we needed. And they were like, okay, we're fine. Uh, you're going to go and have a great day and I'll go and have a great day. But I, I do. I have them. I would say I typically talk to people in my life who know my work ethic and know how much I care so they understand the root of my frustrations. Mm. I can take things really personally in my work. Um, and working with people, I'm just, I'm super empathetic. And if you don't understand that part of me, then you might be like, Courtney, relax. <laughs> but it's it's my heart. So yeah. if you don't know that, it's gonna, it won't be received well or understood. You need safe people, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think we all need safe people, right? Because at the end of the day, when you're venting, somebody could take it the wrong way. And think, oh, well, she's just complaining when at the time, it, it, I just needed to vent. I'm better now. Now I can move on. <laughs> yeah. Like they say, don't vent to your mom because she's going to remember all your friends yes, that you're yes. mad at. <laughs> 400%. Rukmini, what about you? So I actually am very lucky in this regard. I married my best friend. Uh, so it's like I've known him 25 years. And we went to school together. And Lucky for me, does the same kind of job I do, but would solve a problem exactly the opposite way I would solve a problem. Oh, that's cool. So it's really interesting because then you have a completely different perspective. And, you know, it's very grounding for me sometimes to just hear a completely opposite spectrum of how you solve a problem. And I'm like, that helps me with my leadership center because 
sometimes I can be a little extra on all the things. Like I lead with my whole heart. I love what you said, Courtney. That's exactly how I am. And until you understand the unique makeup of what makes me who I am, it's really hard to see my perspective. I also have a Zumba friend that I go to Zumba with three times a week and she's awesome. And she lets me went and then we go and we dance it away and the endorphins make up for everything. So I think it's good to have different kinds of friends to reach out to. Oh, that is so fun. It's true. And you mentioned the Zumba. So I think I mentioned this before my trainer. I talk to her about all my problems. I feel like it's a therapy session. <laughs> but to your point, it's like I work out, I feel great. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm ready for the day. And she doesn't know anybody at work, but she knows everything. <laughs> she has all your secrets. She knows all my secrets. <laughs> Yeah. And one of the reasons why I brought this up is because I read a LinkedIn article from Rukmini <laughs> and you talked about having a squad. And I was like, okay, like everyone needs a squad in so many ways, inside of work, outside of work, for working out. Like we need people. We can't do this alone. It's really important to find your people and hold them close. Like that's my mantra. Let's get this party started. We have so much to cover. We have a really cool guest. Rukmini, why don't you just introduce yourself? I want to hear what your title is, but more than that, like, who are you? What are the hats that you wear? We know that women come wearing a lot of hats. So how would you describe all of yours? My name is Rukmini Reddy. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the SVP of engineering at Slack, I am an engineer by profession, a computer engineer. I am an immigrant to this country coming up on my 20th anniversary. I am a mom to 10-year-old twin boys. I am a partner to my better half squad partner, like we discussed earlier. <laughs> I love to dance. And I am an aspirational do-it-yourself party planner. Ooh, I love that. It's the dancing and engineering. I think like we'll put those two together, you got a good party <laughs> right there. Out of all the hats that you wear, is there one that energizes you most and makes you feel like such a badass? I think it's the intersectionality of all the hats I wear that make me feel like a total badass. Like, you know, I feel very proud and humbled by my immigrant journey and how far I've come in this country. And I feel so fulfilled when I look at my 10-year-old brown boys looking up to their mom and just like feeling assured that somehow all women are engineers and this is totally normal. <laughs> I love that. That makes me really fulfilled. So I think it's like there's not one part more fulfilling the other, but it's the sum of everything that makes me whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And you call yourself a badass engineer leader, and we absolutely love that. What's one rule that you've broken to get ahead in your career? First thing, I think the biggest rule I've broken with what you just said, I have no filter. So <laughs> me calling myself badass might be frowned upon, but it's who I am, and that's <laughs> totally it. okay. It's so. cool. It's why you're here. <laughs> I yes. have no filter. So, so many, like, rules I've broken, but I think the greatest rule, you know, growing up in India as this little girl who loved engineering, it's a very patriarchal society, and I felt, like, a lot of pressure to, like, when somebody tells you you need to fix something, make sure you fix it. And it was very ingrained in, you know, how I was raised. And one thing I realized, like, through my journey for the last 20 years is, like, not everything that I'm told I have to fix. So like, you know, there's a very important distinction between feedback that's 
helped to make you grow and sometimes feedback that's helped to put you in your place. And with my intersectionality being in a field with this very few women of color and women in general, it's really important to be able to like break that rule and be like, not all feedback is great for you. So take what makes you feel grow as a human, as a leader and leave the other behind. Was there a time that you realized that or did you always know? As an engineer, pattern matching comes very naturally to me. (laughs) And after like running into the same patterns, like about five times, I was like, wait a minute. Like, you know, when I get feedback about how brown and loud and proud I am, I was like, "Uh, I don't know how I feel about that feedback. So I'm just going to park it. (laughs) What happened is I started to feel like my spark was getting taken away. And I felt less fulfilled and less like I was doing something wrong. And I'm like, I feel very like sure of who I am. I lead with my whole heart. And when these two are in conflict, I choose to go with my heart. And I love that because when I read your article, you did mention something like when the negativity takes away, it could take away your power. It could take away your motivation. And I know you also mentioned your spark. So being able to tell that difference, I mean, you're so fortunate to be able to do that early on. There's a lot of people that haven't. So I think this is great for our listeners to listen to those patterns. And is it taking away your power? Is it taking away your spark? And realize whether it's candor or or criticism. And journaling is a great way to do that. Like if you're looking for a tool, I love sheets. So if you want to put a column like says feedback to help me grow, feedback that's putting me in my place, and just put a date and time on it and the situation and scenario... And if you're, I have good memory, but if you need help and support, like you can always use tools to, to just gather data and patterns. Yeah, documentation is great. I have a friend who's a neuroscientist, and she says the exact same thing, that like you notice your own brain patterns, like what you notice too. So it would be interesting to see the types of feedback you noticed early on your career and then the types now. That doesn't demonstrate other people's feedback. It demonstrates how you interpret it. And so, like she says, when you're journaling, think about the way you journaled and the way you think and the way you reacted to the way people um, talk to you. Well, Rukmini, I have a question for you because I truly believe that being on boards, it's something that, well, number one, the data shows we do not have a lot of women of color on board, on paid boards for that matter. And it is something that is almost like a best kept secret. I didn't find out about it until very later in my career. And I aspire to be on a paid board with decades of experience in HR. But my question to you is, why did you start your board journey? So I am like you. I'm still aspiring. I haven't made it. (laughs) I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, It's insider information. You need to know the right people to tell you exactly what you need to do. It's very specific and the same opportunities keep getting distributed to the same people. Despite all the experience you bring, and I feel very similarly, I feel like it's a lengthy process. And like anything else requires a lot of heavy preparation and understanding the landscape. We talk about this, right? Like we all go to school. Like I mentioned, I went to school to be a computer engineer. So when I got my first job to be a computer engineer, I kind of knew what to do. But how do you become a board member? You have to learn about the process. You'll have to learn about the journey. So that's what I've been doing for the last two, three years. On, It's been a side gig. I've not really like put in a lot of energy and effort that it deserves. But it's something that is on my long-term horizon and goal. Like five to 10 years from now, I would love to get paid to give advice to help tech companies grow, right? So um, it's been challenging though. Yeah. The men say that, oh, I just happened to me. I just got it. I'm like, how did you get a board? I just got it. I don't know. 
So I'm just like trying to navigate what it takes. <laughs> I currently sit on um, several nonprofits, but one specifically um, Women's Food Service Forum that it's working to advance women. And one of the things that I did find from even just joining nonprofit organizations is the network that you build. So when you talk about not doing it alone, most recently I started going through a, a transition at work where I left a great career. And now I'm here building Zara Consulting and seeing what's next for me. And I can't tell you how phenomenal it was to see all these different CEOs, CHROs, CFOs just kind of say, hey, how can we help you? So to mm -hmm. me, as I work towards that journey, being in a nonprofit board has been so rewarding, just getting to know other leaders in the industry. And it goes back to your point of not doing it alone. A hundred percent. And it also teaches you, like, I think, structure of how boards are operated, what all the different committees are. Like, yes. it's such a hard job. Like, you're responsible, you know, and it's really important to, like, seek advice, build a network, ask people what kind of challenges they regularly encounter. Because I think most people at least underestimate the effort it takes to not just get your first board role, but then the effort it takes to, like, continue to serve on a board. It's, it's pretty large. Well, the salaries for boards range quite a bit. The average person on a paid board seat is making $88,000. And so you actually do have to work towards it. I want to be in like a little bit of a higher range later <laughs> when I, <laughs> but hey, like if you're on a couple boards, you're retired, it's a great way to continue to build generational wealth for your family. 100%. Absolutely. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about you, Rukmini, when we first met is like, you're not shy about money and you're not afraid to talk about it. And I want to know, like, where does that come from and how, what does that look like for you? So I, you know, as any immigrant and I, when I first came to this country, I had no family, nobody here. I came by myself. I was 21 years old. I just got on a plane because my grandmother encouraged me to. And I suddenly realized I had like a finite amount of dollars to like somehow like make it all work. Like, you know, I very ambitiously had, who remembers traveler's checks? Like, yes. It's a thing of the past. Um, I came with like $3,000 of Amex checks in my pocket to begin <laughs> and start my entire life in this new country and pay for grad school. Super ambitious, right? And uh, I actually got my first job within the first 24 hours after landing in this country. And what? Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I did it because I felt hyper-motivated. I went to school in Arkansas. I'm a Razorback. We can do an entire episode about my experience <laughs> uh, going to Arkansas for grad school as a brown woman in 2003. Uh, but, uh, you know, coming back to the story, like, I literally was like, I need a job to sustain myself. And I found this, like, computer lab job, which, looking back, what a great job because I got to monitor a computer lab. So I was always safe and secure. I didn't need to do physical labor. And then I got to do my assignments and my grad school work while I was monitoring the lab. It paid a grand total of federal minimum wage in those days, $5.40 an hour. Oh, oh my God. And I'm so proud of that money. And I, my grandmother, whose you know, shoulders I came into this world on and who encouraged me to go here, I remember getting physical dollars from my first ATM card. And I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think this is how you move money around the world. But I took a $20 bill out of my $540 total pay, 
and I mailed it to my grandmother back in India. And, you know, it meant a lot because for her, it meant that her granddaughter was capable of earning a living on her own. And I've never been shy about talking about that because it's really important. Like I went back and shared with the other Indian students saying they were all working in Burger King in the student union. I was like, no, this job pays better and you can actually get your assignments done. And this is how we distribute opportunity because if we all get ahead, then we can actually earn wealth settle ourselves in this new country. So, and it's like, I think really important. I realized as I went through tech, how much the guys talked about money. Mm. When I was negotiating my early jobs, like I didn't even know what was a good amount to ask. And once I became a manager and I started to see like comp cycles, I was like, wait a minute, how <laughs> come the guys are making so much more than the women on the team? And I just real learned how much average salaries should be. So I'm really not shy about discussing money. I encourage all women around me to like call a friend and tell them how much you make and just be really uncomfortable because even discussing money makes us all uncomfortable, isn't it? Like it's just weird. Oh yeah, for sure. I feel uncomfortable asking. I feel uncomfortable telling both. What about you, Courtney? Because there's all these trends that say like people in their 20s, that's what they do. What do you see with your peers? I don't know if it's a norm for everyone. In my friend group, we normalize it. But I'm also really transparent with my friends, especially in the past year, about financial literacy and equity. And I do have a diverse friend group growing up, mostly white friends. And I've learned a lot from them in terms of budgeting and negotiating and not apologizing for what you want because they're examples of that. And they're really transparent with me. They'll talk me through it at points when I was like, I don't want to talk about it. And they were like, that's how you grow. That's how you'll get what you want. And it's very empowering. It's definitely more open. I actually just asked a friend yesterday pretty openly. We grabbed coffee and I was like, how much do you make? And there was this pause. Good for you. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, uh, you don't have to respond. But then they were like, no, let's talk about it. Because they're further in their career than me. And then they shared how they got there. I'm sure people listening feel like I have felt and don't want to ask. How do you really break that barrier? How do you initiate that conversation? I think like trust has to be at the bottom of that. You just can't go asking a bunch of random people, <laughs> how much money do you make? <laughs> at least I cannot. I don't know. Maybe I'm a different generation. I think it's really important to like have trust where you can have this relationship and be okay with people saying, no, I don't feel comfortable talking to you about this. Um, what I love at work, and I've noticed this over the last several companies I've been at, and I really value it, this next generation, just so vibrant and energized and open. And that's why I feel more hopeful for the future of the world world, like they pass on like these sheets to collect data. And there's like usually like a data transparency week when you can even anonymize, add your title and your salary, but it just like normalizes that conversation. So I really appreciate quorums like that. I think if you have like a work environment where people are transparent and willing to work and you're, it's a supportive environment and safe environment, I think that's another really great way to do it. There's always like pay transparency surveys that are getting released all the time. There's so many websites now that track in industry-wide salaries and what's an average salary component. But I think what comes with networking, which I don't think comes with all this public information, is that salary is not the only form of compensation. Mm. And yes. that's something I learned mm -hmm. a lot later in my my own journey was like, wait, 
I used to feel so happy when someone was like, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars salary. I was like, yes, finally, you know, this is wonderful. I'm like in the five digits, like feel very happy. And I think then I realized, wait, there's a whole equity component to it. And there's like performance-based salaries and there's like bonuses. And then you're like, starting to look at much more wealth than you originally anticipated. And I feel like people who went to like Ivy Leagues or have a network of alumni, they could tap easier into this conversation, which is something I had to learn just pattern matching over the years and just being curious. <laughs> What's your pattern matching now? Like how do you, when you're looking for new jobs or as you've looked for new jobs, what has been your process? I have a network of incredible women around me who really empower and enable me. So I just have like so many people who I've partnered with over the years and I can call them up, like, especially if you're like a venture capitalist and you're a talent partner, like I call them, I'm like, what do cap tables look like these days? And bam, they will send me like data that says when we're investing in companies, if they make this amount of ARR, this is what you should expect a seat at the table. This percentage of company I'm like mind blown, right? Because good old imposter syndrome. Why do I, immigrant Rukmini, deserve all this? Like, but it's like really eye-opening to like have that data. And I remember like many years ago, I was negotiating a job and the person like made me this first offer and I felt like queen of the world. And then I looked at the sheet and I was like, oh my God, they're underpaying me by 50%. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I went back and I was like, ah, oh, that won't work for me. I have data that says that I need 50% more. And they're like, totally. And they just amended the offer right then. Wow. 50% more. That's huge. The power of data. The power of right? data. Yeah. And the power of a network and women lifting each other up, right? It's invaluable. Yes. I'm like, okay, who do I need to add to my network? What friends do I need to go make tomorrow? <laughs> Since I'm in the tech landscape, I think maybe this is relevant mostly for me. So sorry to the listeners if I don't know your current ecosystem. But, you know, a lot of funding comes from venture capital firms in the Silicon Valley. If you are someone who is always looking for a job as in most senior roles, like you'll have access to a lot of people there that discuss like when you're ready for your next opportunity, like you build these network for years. They have all these like cap tables and information on what revenue does a company make? What's their growth path look like? How much funding did they get? And what employee number are you? That Those are details that come in a cap table. So like try to reach out to like, if you're in tech, like build partnerships, build your network, go to those meetups, try to learn about problems people care about. Don't be like unnatural about it. Just don't go and show up to a meetup and be like, hi, I want to know what your cap tables look like. <laughs> no, but that's great because even when I started doing speaking engagements, I had no idea. And it was talking to other peers that I knew that were doing the speaking engagements. And I'm like, hey, this is what I'm asking for. They're like, what? No, you need to be asking for A, B, C, or D. Mm -hmm. So being able to have that squad, right? Those people around you that you can trust or you can ask about, hey, I'm venturing into this. Am I asking for the right things? Guide me or give me some data that you could provide. So I think that it's so important when it comes to building your squad and not doing it alone. Earlier, you said, I married my best friend and that's your safe space. You can talk through all of this with. And it's such a blessing. Can we like dive into that a little bit more? Like the dynamic between you two? Because I love that. And so you mentioned you and your partner purposely change jobs, right? Every three to four years. Why is this a choice that you two make? First and foremost, growth. I mean, no matter what people tell you happens when you switch a job. That's your maximum leverage point to increase your 
wealth, your total compensation uh, as immigrants, both of us are immigrants and raising a young family here is really important for us to create security and safety for our next generation. And the other thing is, New jobs require so much hard work, y'all. <laughs> oh my God, it's exhausting to take on a new job. You have to work so hard. It's like everything you did until that point doesn't matter, right? <laughs> you show up and you have to build trust, ground up. You have to grind at it every single day. That's my view of it. I was telling interns recently that you have to work hard in a new job. Anyone else who's telling you otherwise is lying to you. Uh, so it, I think it takes a good nine to 12 months for a normal common human, like, you know, to like settle into a new gig and find their feet and feel comfortable and start to show visible performance and progress. And when you're raising a young family, that's a lot of time and effort that one has to put in. So it's almost like a tag your it <laughs> kind of thing, like where we intentionally are like, you know what? You have that job, you have that moment right now, and my investment in you as your partner to help you flourish. So why don't you go do that? I have the fort down, I'll stay stable, and you have to return the favor. Because I think where I've seen a lot of my friends who are women suffer is like, they give it up. They're like, it's okay, my partner's got it. So we take turns and we switch. And it's been extremely rewarding. And for those who've known us over 20 years, like, our friends are always like, wow, you've had up in the right growth together. And neither one of us is mm. resentful. We actually celebrate each other's achievements. Do you guys make the same amount of money? Uh, yes. That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I have the stretch versus crush ratio. And what that means is like there's certain times in my life, it's totally okay for me to crush my job. Because it's okay for me to not intentionally set into a set setting that's going to stretch me so much that I can be fulfilled in all aspects of my life. A great example of this was giving birth to twin boys and then getting an offer to do an extremely large role with a lot of scope. And I'm like, oh my God, you know what? I'm crushing my job right now. I'm just going to stay put for a little bit till I figure out this whole parenting thing for a year or two. And I don't have to seek this next opportunity, not at this moment. So I actually did shift my job, I think, when my kids were about 18 months, which is what it took me to like just get my brain back stitched together. So it's really intentional for me to like think about what's going on in my life at this moment and what's my stretch versus crush ratio. I love that even just as owning your power because you kind of said, this is what I need. I'm going to own it. And that's what I'm going to ask for and get. So good for you. I, I love that. Thank you. question because it sounds like you have an amazing support system at home and badass, of course. But how do you handle being the only, I'm sure, in a lot of places, especially in your industry, as you continue to move up? Yeah, I think, you know, the sad part of being the only one as celebrated as it is just you're just alone. That's a reality. And it's really hard because there are very few people with your shared intersectionality and lived experiences that you can be vulnerable with. But I've always found amazing sponsors and peers whom I can reach out to, irrespective of them sharing my identity. I think one of the advantages of leading with your whole heart is like, 
people see that, they see you for who you are, for being authentic, for being transparent, for being approachable, and then goes such a long way. And I have just like leaned into that. It's like, again, that's what I call my leadership center. It's what brings me joy and it's who I am. And I have built enough confidence that my approach is going to work. Pattern matching again, it just works several times. So I have to have confidence that it's going to work. And I have this I'm an extrovert's extrovert. I make friends really easily. I I can banter and chat for hours. So all of these like really help me with like getting to know people. And I think what's the unlock is if you go in with a mindset of active listening and learning and curiosity, you can always learn what others are motivated by. And when you unlock that, like just magic happens, trust gets built. Yes, it may not be the same because you don't necessarily share my intersectionality, but I think it goes a long way. And I've I've been very, very grateful and lucky that I now have many more women around me, which is absolutely wonderful and something I love to celebrate. And I have this group of amazing women that we meet. We have a monthly lunch together. We're all work friends where we can vent to each other, but we also have a safe space and we can sponsor and help each other's careers grow. So Though that didn't exist, I was able to put in a system for it because the question I ask myself is, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And if you're the only one, I think you have to take a good hard look in the mirror and ask that question. You don't get to sit it out. I think you can use that approach in making friends too because, I mean, I'm an extrovert too, but sometimes I wait around for someone to be my friend. And you can ask yourself that same question, like, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? So why can't I reach out to someone to put them in my network? And it takes effort. You're talking about hard work, but your hard work is in every area of your life. Like, that's what I'm hearing. And you also sound very intentional about all of it. It's like, I just, I admire you so much. Thank you. You're too kind. Let's talk about imposter syndrome, because I think, you know, that's something like maybe I don't know how you all feel about it. I really struggle with that one. And it's like a constant battle. It's like, you're not good enough. Why are so many great things happening to you? And I felt a little bit awkward when you just praised me. Right? Though the pattern matching says, okay, Rukmini, this is good. You deserve this moment. It is really hard to make peace with it. What are your thoughts on it? I'd love to hear from you all as well, because this is something I feel like a lot of women, and especially women of color I talk to, really struggle with day to day. I think imposter syndrome and the conversation about money can go hand in hand. And it's actually something I've been exploring with different friends, with my coach. And I've learned that it's a root, like imposter syndrome in a negotiation is so real. And sometimes people say, oh, well, I just haven't done it before. And yes, it makes sense, you know, to feel scared if you haven't done something before. But the reason that's holding you back from actually having that conversation or asking or talking about it vulnerably with friends can sometimes be this deep-rooted feeling of like, I don't feel like I'm worth it enough to ask for this, which is crazy because we work so, so hard. Yeah. For me, it's about catching it and not feeding the negativity because imposter syndrome is always something negative about you. Like, 
I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. Oh my God, why is she praising me? Like it feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's about talking to yourself in a positive way and really feeding positive thoughts so that your mind can really get to the point where you're right and feeding it with facts at the end of the day. Because if you start thinking about it, right, with let's just say this example, what Elisa praised you, is like you said it yourself, you know the facts, you know you're a badass, you know what you've accomplished since the day that you, you know, set foot in this country. And you've documented it. <laughs> you've documented <laughs> And yet it feels uncomfortable. But it's catching that and saying, no, you know what? I am. Thank you. I personally still get those same, same thoughts. And I don't think imposter syndrome is something that will disappear, but I wholeheartedly believe it is something that we can manage. It is something that we can stand in front of it and say, no, I know I am a badass and I am going to continue to do all these great things. And I'm going to take all of these praise. I love that. I have a poster that says you don't owe anyone anything. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yes. <laughs> and I have to pull it out every once in a yes. while and be like, remember this, you don't owe anyone anything. And I think I love what you said about documentation. I think we underestimate the influence of writing down all our accomplishments. Mm. So this is something like, you know, as a tip, I encourage everyone, just be super tactical. Like, you know, write down First and foremost, good old cap, old-fashioned capitalism. What do we care about? We care about the success <laughs> of a business. So if anybody's telling you otherwise, again, they're lying to you. So make sure you just directly, you work hard. You just literally write down the impact you've had on the business. First and foremost, start there. Write about the impact you've had on the people around you and the relationships you've built and how you've helped multiply somebody else. And then finally, just like, what does this personal growth journey meant for you? That's how I like compartmentalize my own like feedback when I write it for myself. And it's super helpful. I think at a certain level, it's not like your boss is going to validate you. Like it drops off the more senior you get. But it's not more for external validation, but rather for that intrinsic validation that you get when you read it. So, Rukmini, a few weeks ago, we did this photo shoot, the three of us. My mom was like our assistant. <laughs> and Courtney, like, I think one of us was complimenting her and she started like giving excuses. Maybe we liked her jacket and she's like, oh, da 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 da. And my mom's like, just say thank you. And I heard, I heard my mom, your mom tell you say that. that. I yes. remember that. <laughs> Several times. She's like, stop apologizing and just say thank you. And there's actually scientific research that backs that up. And there's a book also uh, by Herminia Ibarra. It's called Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. And she says, especially when you're stepping into a new leadership role, you act like it because no one else externally is going to be able, like even a coach, a mentor, a sponsor, those are all important people, but no one can tell you anything <laughs> that's going to really change your mind until you actually step into that role. And maybe we would call it like owning your power, right? So like when you step into it, when you're actually doing the thing, you complement that with documenting it. There's no arguments against it that anyone can tell you. That would be my advice for anyone dealing with imposter syndrome. One, catch it. Two, look at your own data. And three, just keep going. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts 
and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.